The Guru. Find out more at bafta.org forward slash guru. Hello and welcome to the programme. I'm Matt Hill. It might be cold outside, but this month we're in shorts. Short films, that is. With the BAFTA Awards so very fresh in our minds, we've gathered together all the nominees from the British short film and animation categories to find out what it takes to produce, write and direct an amazing story. These nominees were chosen by a crack team of jurors, including this guy, writer and actor Mackenzie Crook. The ones that I've been most impressed with are the ones that have taken that that short film format and done something interesting with it, which possibly couldn't be done in a feature film. You know, the, the very still quality of some of them would get dull if it was two hours long, but in that short format, it, it's, it keeps your attention. My name's uh, Shane Meadows, I'm a director. There's so many different ways you can make a short film, obviously because you can have a documentary, a comedy, a drama, a horror. It, for me, the key ingredient is seeing someone with vision. I think obviously no matter whether it's a documentary or it's someone that has a voice, I'm looking for an author, you know, someone that's actually, you can feel the, their personality coming through. My name's Bolog Baje and I'm a screenwriter. I guess the thing that's impressed me the most is just the story. I mean, I'm a screenwriter, so I guess I'm always going to be looking for the story, but there's so many stories out there to be told, and, and I guess what was really nice to see is the range of stories and the different types of stories, but then also just how well most of the films are shot. I mean, the quality is just amazing. I think short films of, of bygone years used to almost be a bit gimmicky. You know, you'd see a short, you have a hook line and a sinker. There was a, a lot of vision in there and a lot of films that you felt could quite easily blossom into much bigger projects right now. So if you want to hear from the next generation of feature makers and some distinguished stars of the short film form, you've come to the right place. We'll hear from the makers of the winning shorts, plus grab tips and tricks from a host of new and established talent. That's all to come. First up, we speak to the winners of the British Short Film BAFTA 2016, writer and director Caroline Bartleet and her producer Rebecca Morgan. And I began by asking Caroline to briefly explain what the film was about. It's about um, an emergency services operator in a fire control room who picks up a call from a mother who's trapped with her son in a house fire. Wow, now that feels like a pitch you've done before. <laughs> the crew are on their way and they're trying to rescue people, OK? No, no, I need you to stay downstairs or you'll put yourself in danger too. I, I, I need you to stay with me and that way you can help me let them know exactly where your son is, all right? OK? Now listen to me, listen to me, I need you to stay downstairs. It's all right, stay downstairs. The, the firefighters will be with you in just a couple of minutes. Hello? We raised everything on Kickstarter. Um, we raised about £7,000 in total. Yeah, it was a month-long campaign and it was very stressful and hectic. And we only got the last kind of £1,000 in the last two days. So it was close to the wire. Really? That, it, was, it was really that close? Mm. What was your strategy in getting that money? Was that just family and friends or did you manage um, to get further afield? Mostly family and friends to start off with. And then we had a couple of random people who just stumbled across it online and gave us you know, big chunks of money, which was amazing. It must have helped to have a, a great cast signed up to do it. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about how, how did you manage to bag two fantastic performers like this? Just complete luck. That's all that was. 
I was lucky because I knew someone who had Kate Dickey's email address and when I'd written it, he said, you know, who would you want to be in it if, if it could be anyone? And I said, well, I'd love it if it was Kate Dickey. And he said, oh, why don't you just email it to her? And we genuinely thought we'd never hear back. And two days later, she responded and was like, I'd love to do it, when can we shoot? And I think because we had her on board, it was much easier to approach somebody like Vicky and say, look, we're doing this short. It's a bit weird because you're never going to be seen, but do you fancy doing this two-day shoot? with Kate Dickey and she said yes so it was the easiest casting process ever but it's it's yeah we're very lucky and can you talk us through the shoots because I understand that you obviously it's done over a phone line so it could have been done in post you didn't make that choice though did you what did you decide to do that that was really important Um, I started as an actor and I just knew that it would have such an impact on their performances if we didn't do it live it just wouldn't feel in any way like authentic and so Rebecca and I actually met in an office in Covent Garden um, at the Edge Pitch Company and, and they really kindly let us shoot there. So we had everybody set up on, on the actual set on the second floor and Vicky was two floors above us on the fourth floor and they were actually speaking to each other through a real phone line and it just made all the difference, I think. Yeah, it took a, a whole day to set that up. <laughs> that whole sound rigging system. We had like wires going between two floors, like <laughs> taped to staircases and kind of headsets that didn't work and it was all it was yeah we needed a whole day to do it so luckily we had a whole day to do it yeah every everyone pulled together though it was it was a good bit of um yeah i'm very happy it worked whereabouts exactly are you in the house i'm in the front bedroom upstairs. okay and that is at the front of the house is describe where it is for me at the front yeah it's at the front of the house yes i'm at the front yes don't worry it's all right now listen what about your working relationship how do you work together um i think we're both kind of quite similar. We just we're quite methodical. We write lists and we just divvy out who's doing what, and we just go and do it. And then we we're, we communicate quite well. We'd worked together when we were in production together before. That's how we met. So I think we both knew that we worked in a similar way and that that we'd work well together. I d- definitely think like in periods when I was really stressed and worried, Rebecca was really calm, and then vice versa. And so I think we were lucky that we both kind of were the anchor to the other person at the right time. Did you ever have to say no to her? <laughs> No, I mean, because Caroline, she was kind of involved in the producing side of it as well. So she wasn't kind of like a typical director who just comes in and orders people around. She was involved from the beginning, obviously. So she knew what was possible and what wasn't possible. So she would never try and do something that wasn't possible. What was the biggest expense on the production? Something really boring like transport, like literally just getting all the... All the kit and everything kit. there. And insurance. I think like the insurance cost loads of money because we had loads of kit and filming in a, a massive office. And we had to have a huge liability in case it all went up in flames. And Ironically, in a yeah. way. Yeah, so the, the most boring things cost lots of money. You, you spent some money, I read on your Kickstarter, for like sound design. Mm. Just take us through what, what was the reasoning behind putting so much importance on the sound design. I can't remember who, who which famous director said that it's like 70% of your experience in the cinema sound and everyone always, you know, is really cheap about it on short films. Not everyone, that's generalisation. A lot of the time that sound gets pushed down the list. And with this, because we were never seeing Vicky, it was like the sound is the most important thing because we're asking our audience to imagine something so terrifying and we have to create that with sound. So we'd worked with um, someone called Lisa Marie McStay before and she's amazing and I wanted to be able to pay her because, you know, she's not like us. She's not like starting out. She's actually established. And so in order to secure her working on the film, we just wanted to be able to pay her. Not, not as much as she deserved, but a little bit. So that's, that's where that money went.
Rebecca Morgan, and before that, Caroline Bartleet, winners of the BAFTA for British Short Film 2016. And if you haven't had a chance to see Operator yet, or indeed any of the other films, you soon will. BAFTA have released them as a single feature, coming to cinemas nationwide from the 26th of February. So, check your local listings. Next up, we head into BAFTA's headquarters here in Piccadilly, where several of our nominees took part in a discussion of their work in front of a live audience. In this first clip, we'll hear from comedian Nick Helm, who co-wrote and directed the short Elephant. Elephant tells the story of two single friends in Brighton who fail to realise that they're perfect for each other. Here's Nick on how he came up with the story. And a word of warning, this gets a little sweary. I lived in Brighton for a year, ten years ago, and it was the worst year of my life. (laughs) And I hate Brighton. And uh, I think, uh, yeah. Um, But um, but the one thing that got me through the year in Brighton was I made friends with um, uh, a girl who who, uh, had a boyfriend, and we just got on really well. And we didn't have any money, and we spent the whole time just walking around Brighton, uh, just filling the time doing stuff and since then I always thought that that would make something that was interesting like in terms of like I, at one point it was going to be a play mm-hmm. and then at another point it was going to be like a, a web series and all of these other things and then I was in a I feel like a, I feel like a, I feel like a dick saying it but I was in a sitcom mm-hmm. and um, I used my connections to have a meeting with someone and um, no, no, I'm a, and um, and I had five ideas, and the fourth idea was that, and he didn't like the first three, and I never got to the fifth, and um, and I wanted to do a, a series, and uh, he said we haven't got a series, but we've got um, a series of uh, short. They weren't even short films; they were just shorts for Valentine's Day last year for the iPlayer. You don't call it the iPlayer, do you? You just call it iPlayer. I sound like my mum. And, um, uh, and so we pitched that, and, uh, and I was working with Esther on, uh, on Uncle. And for like 10 years, I'd sort of like tried to find... Um, I thought it was very important that it wasn't... Um, uh, from a male, a male perspective, I didn't want it to be kind of putting the female on a pedestal. I wanted it to be like equal, so that we kind of like... So, over 10 years I found Esther and then I wanted to work with her and um, and we wrote that. And we did a lot of improv uh, and then we transcribed it and then we learnt our lines and we did them and then we improvised on location and then in the edit I threw out about, or me and Alex, we threw out about 50% of the script in the edit and uh, it was like a nice mix between scripted and improvised and then we got something that was quite natural there's an awful edit right at the beginning where we walk around the corner and i'm talking about jean-claude van damme and our lips don't sync up and um it was meant to be watched on a little phone and uh, that is so embarrassing for everyone we watch it and we've seen it about four times on a big screen and we want to fucking punch ourselves in the fucking faces 
because you're not meant to see it that big. And, uh, and I was saying something else and it wasn't as good a line, but the person, the real hero of our film was the woman that walks around the corner just before we do. And she sees the camera, but she doesn't actually make eye contact with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she, she kept the shot in the film. But that's, that's what we did. Hello, Anita Roddick. Who's Anita Roddick? Who, who, who's Anita Roddick? Uh, Dame Anita Roddick. Uh, used, to, used, to, used to live there. Uh, between 1942 and uh, 2007. She was an entrepreneur, a retailer, and an activist. So she did, she had the hat trick, the holy hat trick. Did you know that then? I mean, I know, because you, you never forget a date like the 27th of March 1976, because that's when the first body shop opened. You're reading it off the thing. Oh, yeah. Look at that. 27th of March 1976. <laughs> I told you. you know I mean, if you don't believe me, it's up there. It's up there in blue and white. <laughs> It's really exciting to see uh, shorts on the big screen and, and the, the BAFTA nominees and the tour to cinemas is one of the very few times where people do get a chance to see it in the cinema. You know, thinking about the format of ideas, so whether something is for, for TV or for, uh, you know, for its length, each of these films, I would say, feels like a short film as opposed to a calling card for the feature that I wanted to make, but I could only make a little bit. Each of them is quite well realised. I'm interested, I guess, with the elevated platform of a, you know, a BAFTA nomination, kind of where your ideas are going next. What are the next projects that you want to do and how do you feel making this short film has impacted on your ideas? Ours was totally a calling card to make a bigger thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Of that, we were totally gutted that we didn't get a series. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I pitched a series and then we got 10 minutes to do it. And so basically that, what, what, what we did when we were writing it was we tried to um, uh, take a six-part sitcom series and we tried to kind of like go, what was the, what would be the emotional journey that you go through for the series, episode mm -hmm. one, two? So the bit at the end would be like an episode five or six. And we tried to truncate it down to like, what's a ten, what would be a 10-minute pitch? And because and it was quite... A, I mean, ridiculously, it's quite a difficult concept to describe to someone else. I mean, it would be six episodes, but it would be based on a year that I spent ten years ago in Brighton. But uh, I say that, but then the, the, that was the, that was the starting point. But then when I met um, when I met Esther, that was sort of like thrown out the that that was our starting point, and that was sort of like thrown out the window. And then you just like go, well, what do you want to do with it, and what do I want to do with it? The, the basic conversations we talked about were, you know, um, let's just do something that's positive because there's so much fucking. Um, uh, negativity and uh, not to sound like a hippie or anything, but do you know what I mean? It's the, 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 there's so many negative characters on, t and what we wanted to do is we wanted to do something that was about two people that actually like each other, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, you hadn't seen that for fucking ages on a thing, <laughs> and so we just wanted to do something that was really positive and lovely, and um, also I'm a stand-up comedian, and I uh, I have a stage persona who's an asshole, and it's very rare for me to like be able to portray who I actually am. Mm -hmm. And this is this is it was it was a nice opportunity to do something that was that, that was more close to to who I really was, and um, that was good. That was Nick Helm speaking to Kate Taylor, programmer of the BFI London Film Festival. And Elephant is still available to view on the BBC iPlayer as part of its Funny Valentine strand. So check it out. Hello, my name's Billy Lumby. I'm the writer director of Samuel Six One Three. Hello, my name is Cheyenne Conway. I'm the producer of Samuel 613. 
I don't understand. How is a parrot going to read to Helium? It's the story of a young man trapped between two worlds. It's about a young man from North London's Hasidic Jewish community who gets enticed by the trendy nature of his Dalston neighbourhood next door and who uses social media to chat to girls. And it's about him leaving that world and struggling in the outside. No, I'm just saying. I'm not I don't I get it. If, if she was blind... All right, so I made a mistake. The, the parrot spoke. How the fuck is a parrot going to read? Shmilo, 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 go on your way, because that's what you will do. You just parrot away without ever thinking for yourselves. Shmilo, come shine your head to me. You've got some incredible access here to the Hasidic Jewish community uh, in making this film. How did you get that and how did you work together? Yeah, the Stamford Hill in North London is it's, it's quite a private world. It's, it's, uh, it's a ultra-Orthodox religious community that's about their faith about family, about marriage, and it's about Jewish culture, Jewish religion. So there was a lot of research involved. There was a lot of getting to know people over a long period of time. I wrote scripts that were quite unrealistic to start with, and then I got to, I got to meet people from that world. The idea started as a... I think the first thing in my head was like a Hasidic boy on a BMX mic doing tricks to gangster rap music. I was trying to mash together two cultures and then I wrote a script about Hasidic Jewish gangsters that was also massively unrealistic. Eventually when I started meeting people I realised that things like family, marriage, their faith are the, are the most important things in that world and these things could be equally dramatic. And it went from there. I started meeting people, I started chatting people on Facebook. Some people talked to me anonymously. I developed the script. Um, with various people in that world and gradually it came together and then gradually the crew grew and grew and Cheyenne came on board and you know we became a team in terms of finding ways to create this vision and achieve you know the, the script in the most authentic way possible. Yeah and Cheyenne you the funding partners you've got for this film are more uh, non-traditional than you might expect just tell us about some of those partners and, and how you ended up working with them. Well, uh, Days came on very early. That's uh, Days and Confused. Days and Confused came on very early and um, they were a strong supporter throughout. They're very much here to support, you know, really keen to support Billy through his work. So they came on board. Billy personally put in quite a bit to get the project started. True. That is true story. True, very I'm true still, story. I'm still in debt. I'm still keen to maximise profits in any way I can. So if anyone, wants to, if anyone wants to donate money to the cause, I'd be more than grateful. So from there, we, we basically, what we did was we took what we had and we, we started to shoot the film. Um, we completed the film. And after completing the film, we then ran a Kickstarter campaign, which was really successful. And that really took our budget up and made that more sizable and then we went to to UK Jewish film and they also really supported the film so we um we were successful with the with the peers fund yeah we we sort of threw caution to the wind and just started shooting it even though we didn't have the money to finish it I think you've got to take a leap of faith like that sometimes when you're making films especially short films where it's it's manageable you know you you're not searching for a distribution deal or anything so it's worth just putting yourself out there and 
Yeah, going crazy. It is really important. Just, you know, we believed in the film. We took what we had and we we, we just went ahead with it. And then the, the belief was there that the money would follow to uh, recompense. And Billy, your next film is also going to be shot in Hackney. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is or how it's going to work? Uh, you've been doing your research. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm at the early stages of developing a script about a feature film about schizophrenia, which is a subject I feel passionate about. It's something I have my own personal experiences of. Well, not, not, of, not of schizophrenia per se, but of mental health. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of research over the last six months, but it's still at an early stage. I'm still writing away, beavering away. And definitely, you know, this kind of recognition from BAFTA is gonna help, hopefully help that, you know, flourish into something. Thanks to Billy Lumby and Cheyenne Conway for speaking to us here at The Guru. Coming up later in the podcast, we'll be talking to the nominees from the British Animation Shorts category, including the winner, Nina Gantz. But first, back to Piccadilly, where our live audience also heard from Callum Rice, director of the short Mining Poems or Odes. This short film features one speaker, the welder-turned-poet Jack Cocker performing lines inspired by his long life as a shipbuilder in Glasgow. Before we hear from Callum and how the project began, here's a snippet from Mining Poems or Odes. Archie was a big guy, fagging out one side of his mouth, and a monster swung 14-pound hammers about for fun, so he found a lot of the men were like bears in the yard. Big rout, no, no muscles to raw toned. Big guys, just great big humps about them, and Archie was one of them. Uh, the original concept for the film was going to be an installation. It was okay. going to be a projection, and uh, I read Robert's poems before I'd met Robert, and I knew instantly I wanted to do something with his poems, and uh, it was when I was a photography student at the art school in Glasgow, and there's always been a rich heritage of cinemas in Scotland, particularly... Uh, some of the biggest cinemas in Europe were in the industrial areas of Glasgow. Mm. So Govan, big shipbuilding community, had five cinemas at one point in the 1930s. And um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take Robert from Govan and I wanted to draw the parallels between natural storytellers and the rich heritage of the fact that these were all in these areas and it was the, the parallels were evident. But I've slowly, slowly evolved and... Um, it was a documentary really had to be the vehicle for it and it was commissioned by the Scottish Documentary Institute in Creative Scotland in uh, last year and I finished in June but it's my first time making a film and it uh, had to be a documentary but I couldn't tell this man's life story in 10 minutes so mm-hmm. quite impressionistic and that was a challenge he had so much to say and it the first time I've made a film it, you'd have to distill everything. It forces you to distill everything he has to say into 10 minutes. And that was, that was a huge challenge, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely a real kind of thing that makes you appreciate it, the challenges when you do it. So mm. that's the importance of short film as well. It's something I realized after making it is um, like a piece of haiku, because I studied a lot of poetry <laughs> with Robert and haiku is maybe, even though it's very, very short, is it any less powerful than a big, piece of literature like a feature film and a short film so that was that was a real challenge there she sits 
majestic. He stands by engineering modern, new. His eyes, they stare forever on remains. Of a time gone by, past industry, he knew. Legacy and monuments proud tell tale. How governs art, seas tamed, worldwide. Posterity, o'er time, the names prevail. Isabella, John Elder, River Clyde. Callum Rice. Hello, my name's Jörn Threlfall. I'm the director of the short film Over. Over is a film about uh, an incident that takes place in a suburban neighbourhood in, in London. The film plays in reverse order, starting at the end of the day and moving through to the beginning of the day. Little by little, we glean that there has been some sort of accident, crime scene, some sort of event involving perhaps an injury of some sort. Uh, we see some flowers by the roadside, we see some blood being hosed off the asphalt. And then little by little we, we're given a little more, more information. So the police arrive, a forensic tent is set up, and then at the end of the film we discover exactly what's happened. So the viewer plays detective a little bit. And difficult to do without spoilers, but what was the inspiration? What was that moment that made you think, this is the short film I want to make? I read a, a newspaper article a few years ago about a very, very surreal, outlandish event that took place uh, on the streets of London. And I was very drawn to this incredible contrast and tension that was created from that, uh, that something so profoundly bizarre could happen in, in, in a landscape so mundane. And of course, the story um, resonated because it's a very, very tragic, desperate story. And I felt that it almost it demanded a, a, a different way of telling, I think. And that's why I wrote it in the way I did. And it became more of a conceptual um, story told in reverse. You have previously worked in advertising for a long time. How did that experience prepare you for making this film? I think working as a commercials director, well, certainly for me, it's allowed me to distill the craft. It's allowed me to tell stories in a more succinct, tight way. Obviously, I'm you know, telling um, stories over 60 seconds or even 30 seconds, whether that's a car commercial or well, any sort of commercial. So it's really about economy, I think, economy of style. And yeah, that, that process of distillation, I think, which, um, which certainly helped with this particular film. And what about the uh, production? How long did it take you to make over? It was incredibly quick, actually. Over took two days to shoot. Um, I think it took us a couple of days to edit. So it was, a, it was an incredibly quick process, a bizarrely quick process, in fact. Uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of research up front, of course, the, 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 the all the police research, um, information um, from articles I read and interviews I'd read. And I worked closely with someone from Scotland Yard, and we kind of plotted out exactly how a scene like this would be, uh, would be dealt with. 
And uh, finally, I mean, obviously it's great to be recognised by BAFTA, but um, there's also the festival circuit. I mean, did you have a festival strategy and how has it been received? You know, festival strategy, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I applied to a number of festivals. Um, obviously, the, 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 the bigger festivals, Sundance, um, Telluride, um, <clears throat> Palm Springs, you know, they're, they're, they're probably, I don't know, 20, I suppose, that are kind of a must submit. You know, I've been doing, since June last year, I started in Palm Springs, and I'm just really, this is the end of the line for the film. It's playing in a couple more festivals next month or this month uh, in the US. But uh, it's, been, it's been incredible, actually. It's been received phenomenally well, this film, um, which is in- remarkably gratifying, kind of considering the the, the, the kind of, I suppose, experimental, kind of more conceptual, kind of non-narrative nature of the film, or at least slightly unconventional narrative nature of the film. You know, I, I won a number of festivals, uh, just played a Sundance and, uh, and Telluride, as I said, in the summer. Um, so, and to have a BAFTA nomination is, yeah, quite surreal. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Finally this month, we talked to the three filmmakers nominated for the Best Animation Short. First up is Simon Cartwright, who made Man O' oh Man. Here's Simon. Uh, so Man O' oh Man is the story of a guy who goes to a primal stream therapy class in the hopes of getting in touch with his masculinity. <coughs> And when he gets there, amidst all these screaming men, he can't let anything out. And so he tries and tries to scream so hard that he actually throws up a miniature primal version of himself, which is kind of his, his id. And this primal man just goes on a kind of a spree through the city, doing whatever he wants with no inhibitions, and leads the big man, the original man, kind of on the path to ruin. This is your graduate film yes. from the NFTS. Just tell us a little bit about the heritage of, of NFTS. How you Did you feel like you were ever going to get to this point? It's been a really long road, actually. I studied animation at university, and then I made a film straight after that. And I had such a hard time with that. It was a commission for Channel 4 and the UK Film Council. And it was such a difficult process uh, for one reason or another that I, I kind of you know, retired from animation and buried my spurs at the bottom of the garden and said never again. And I went working, I went to work in the the library in Leeds thinking, oh, this is nice. I can focus on, uh, I can just do an easy job and do my own thing, making music and making films. And I ended up getting so stressed just by working for the council that I thought, well, if if I'm going to get stressed doing anything, then it might as well be what I'd love. So I thought I should go back to study and kind of jumpstart it. So I'd done a few other small things, kind of jumpstart my career. And I'd, I'd seen a couple of films from the NFTS where I thought, wow, the production values were just incredible. And, and, and I really love good cinematography. And they have a dedicated cinematography course there that as an animator you can actually work with. So we were able to kind of really push what Man O' Man is, which is a a puppet film. And so it's miniature sets and light, but it's still lit like a live action. But we were really able to push that side of it, the cinematic side. And so that really was like the big bonus for me of going to the NFTS. And having a concentrated period of study 
when I didn't have to work and I, you know just for for money and I could just say you know I'll worry about the bills when I graduate but for now all I have to do is make this film and that was for me that's kind of how I needed it to go so yeah the the NFTS for me was kind of like a enforced period of just working for two years and you finished this film about 12 months ago and since then you haven't really stopped have you how many festivals have you been to can you go on give me the list it's it, no that's that would be shameless it, we've done okay we've done it basically. come on come on come on a few a few so we premiered at Cannes, which i think opened up a lot of doors and then we've been, we've just come back from sundance we're pl- soon playing at south by southwest we were at afi in la encounters in bristol yeah quite a few now how did you start with Cannes? I don't know, really, actually. I was really quite shocked by that. It was, it was in the Cinefondation category, which is student films. Um, so I don't think we would have qualified for the, for the main award, but it was intense. It was really intense. I kind of thought, this must be a joke, you know. I still think this is a joke. I still think tonight we're going to get into the cinema and someone else's film's going to play, and then you say, oh, terribly sorry, we we meant man or man or like a di- you know a slightly different film but no we just just pure luck the nfts we kind of finish our films january february and i guess can the deadline was one of the first ones and so that was you know one of the first festivals that we actually entered so your strategy was effectively do whatever's first oh it's can we'll yeah. do that <laughs> well now you know people ask me about festival strategy but i kind of from doing this you know i've done this a few times but now I'm just thinking there's it's just luck like there's no way can really I would have anticipated them choosing my film it's like really loud and obscene and absurd and yet it turns out the French love that you know so who knew Uh, what's next for you Uh, so I a few things I'm working in commercials so I'm kind of doing bits and pieces of commercials and then I'm hoping to get a live action and animation hybrid film made which I'm kind of writing at the moment and then I also am working something up with Nina Gantz who is uh, nominated also for best short animation we studied together and, and good friends and we've worked together on a few things so we're trying to write a feature hopefully one of those things will kind of unfold to be the the, the next thing Simon Cartwright, another nominee who came here to BAFTA, went on to win the award, and that was Nina Gantz. Her film, Edmund, follows the life of the titular character, an outcast that has a habit of eating his friends and family. In this clip, she explains why. Yeah, my idea came uh, from that feeling that you sometimes have when you um, really love someone and uh, you just want a little bite of them. <laughs> and Edmund kind of has that feeling, but he goes a bit further than we do, or, yeah, uh, than I do. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, that's where the, the, the idea came from. But um, the, the way of telling it with felt um, came from... Um, actually, it was quite a violent story sometimes, and by using felt, it kind of um, damped, or how do you say it, like it kind of... Um, makes the emotion not come in so hard, I think, and it kind of, um, yeah, it, it, it hel- I think it helps to um, feel more emotional uh, towards him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nina Gantz. Congratulations to Nina 
and her producer, Emily Jevois. Finally this month, let's hear from the multi-award winning animator, Richard Williams. This is a man who has films such as Who Framed Roger Rabbit and A Christmas Carol Under His Belt, plus the fantastic opening titles to the Pink Panther movies. So it's clear that Williams is not new to animation, but he had more in common with the other emerging artists than you might think, as he told our audience. I always uh, try to push drawn animation into areas where, where it's never been, and uh, the idea was to do a tight package of the futility of war. Only took about 6,000 drawings in all to do it. So, so how long did that take? It spread over the years in Mm-mm. between other things. 12? 12 years. But two years frantic at the end. It's the first film I've ever done that I'm happy with. Mm. <laughs> Cannot, okay, with no clients and, <laughs> and no money, <laughs> so you can do. I work like a student. Do okay. what you want. Nobody can stop me, <laughs> except Mother Nature. <laughs> and Williams also explained how his film Prologue had come from a larger film idea, which he still hopes to complete. I'm animating a, a comedy, an ancient Greek, 2,400-year-old anti-war comedy, which is outrageously sexy and funny. But it was written at the time that uh, one side had just lost 45,000 men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writer of it, it was so, how he could write this crazy thing in the midst of this terrible tragedy. So I. The prologue is a separate film to glue on the front of this long, much longer film that I'm making, which is in a completely different genre. Is, is it a similar style as well? Yeah, it's my, this is my style. Sure. <laughs> Whatever that is, <laughs> that's what comes out naturally. Richard Williams, ending this look at the British short film and animation categories from this year's BAFTA Film Awards. Well done to the winners and to all the nominees. Remember, you can see the films as part of the feature BAFTA Shorts 2016 in cinemas from the 26th of February. Rihanna Dillon and The Guru will be back in March with more insight, not just from film, but television and video games as well. Please do check out our other editions by subscribing via your podcast app of choice. Until then, my name is Matt Hill. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>